is a Woodside Church podcast. Good morning. Well, today, believe it or not, is the start of our Christmas series. Very early. But I went to Frost's, late, yes, I went to Frost's yesterday, so I feel seasonal. Um, let me move this thing. Hang on. I tend to walk around a lot, so I don't trip over a wire. It's not happened yet. It will happen one day. Okay. That'll do the job. Um, so we're starting the se- Christmas series, and, t- and it's called The Sounds of Christmas. And for the next five or six weeks, we're going to be looking, looking at the story of the, na- the nativity, and we're going to be stopping and pausing at different points in that story, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, at different sounds we encounter. So today we're going to be doing Sounds of Comfort, and I'm going to go off the stage in a second, and we're going to listen to the Bible verses going to be read to us. Um, so in, and today's a story of when Zechariah, who's John's dad, meets an angel in the temple. And otherwise, in an otherwise silent temple, um, he, an angel appears to him and speaks to him and says some stuff. So we're going to have a listen to the verse and I'll come back on afterwards. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 to 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So my talk, as I said today, is a sound of comfort. And as we've just had some silence, I mean, 
I think we could do with some comfort right now in, in, our, in our country and in our world. Things have, been all, things have been very, very tumultuous these last couple of years. Um, so from this story, I'm, I'm going to look at four different, four different things that we can, as a Christian, we can take comfort in from this story. First one is the incense. So in this story, in this story, you've heard that Zechariah has gone into the temple, which, by the way, he had. He, every tribe of Israel could do this for a week twice a year. So he has a two-week period in a fifty-two week. In a fifty-two week year, there was two weeks in which it would have been his his job, his clan's job, to go and man the temple, and he was chosen by lot to be the one that had the the. Joy, probably not joy, probably terror, of going, in, going into the silent temple and burning the incense. Now, the thing, that's, the thing that's interesting about incense is what incense represents. Guess what's in here? Um, what incense represents. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, we've got incense. In the Bible, incense was burnt as a symbol. and it's, Incense in the Bible is symbolic of, of prayer, of God hearing our prayer. And it says, in Psalm 41.41, it says, may, the prayer, may, may my prayer be set before you like incense. Zechariah, it says, it says in this verse we just heard, was very old. Very specific. Very old. But actually, they, the commentators reckon he was between 60 and 70. And his wife would have been 60 or 70 at this point. Sorry, everybody. You are very, very old. Um... um Yes, he would have been 60 or 70. And he, is go- he, ironically, is going into the temple to burn some incense, symbolic of God hearing prayers for a long, prayers for long, from a long time. And he's going in there with a prayer that's not been answered. So he's going to burn incense, even though he knows him and his wife have been praying for a child for years. But the truth is, they probably haven't prayed it for a while. Anyone who's 60 or 70, I don't think you're still praying for a child, if you haven't. <laughs> Uh, so this is something he probably hasn't prayed for a while. Um, but I hope, I'm gonna, let me just set this off. And by the way, I go to all lengths for this. This scent is the scent they would have had in the temple. And, with, and in, about, in about 10 minutes, everybody will smell it because it stinks his whole hall out, which, is, which, is the, which was the attended. Uh, hang on, we can't put that on that. I'll put that there. Hang on a second. Anyone, got, anyone still use this? This is a bit old-fashioned, isn't it? I think now I can blow it, I reckon. No, is that too early? I think it might be too early. We're, oh, no, we're right. We're good, we're good, we're good, we're good. Okay, so he goes into the temple and he lights the incense. And he himself has a prayer that hasn't been answered. But the truth is about God. God remembers our prayers. And the Bible says that prayer is like an aroma. It talks it being like an aroma to God. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, got, it's on, it's on. I'm just worried it's going to go out again. I need this smell to work. Um, yeah. Um, it's like, it's, it, the Bible says it's like an aroma. And in fact, it says in the Bible, in, in Revelation, it says that prayer, that God stores up prayer like incense. It says in Revelation 5, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures... And the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Which are the prayers of God's people. The Bible says a lot about persevering in prayer. 
We, there's story after story about keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Story uh, uh, of a widow who, who's told to keep knocking, keep knocking until the, till the doors opened. The Bible says a lot about when we should pray, but it doesn't say much about when we should stop. And, and as Christians, that can be, that can be quite hard. There are, sometimes we stop because it's been answered. Sometimes we stop because the circumstances have changed. Sometimes we stop because, well, the, the deadline's been missed. But sometimes we have to ask God, God, do I stop praying this now? And so many people in this room have been praying for children who still don't know God. And, and there are times you think, do I stop praying now? There are certain things you do not stop praying about. That would be one of them. But there are other things that aren't so clear that... God sometimes says, okay, you've, you can stop now. And that prayer you've prayed now will be burning forever. He will smell it like an aroma, even in 20 years' time. And this, I say this for, as comfort to those of you who, who have stopped praying for something because you felt that it's done, God wants me to stop, that even though you might even have forgotten some of these things, God never forgets those prayers, ever. He never forgets the prayers. I was, the other day I was reading a book, one of my old prayer journals, and I was reading it. For, it's actually not that old. It's 2014. It's the furthest back one I've got. But I was reading some of these prayers in, the, in there, and I was thinking, oh, I forgot that that happened. I forgot that that happened. That one hasn't been answered. That one was answered, but I've forgotten it being answered. But God faithfully remembers all our prayers like incense that will burn eternally. And when, when Revelation, Revelation is about the return of God, when he comes again, and, he, and it says he stores up the prayers of the saints and pours out like incense. He doesn't forget. He doesn't forget. So my first bit of comfort is for us to know that when we pray, God does not forget. I'd also suggest if you've not got... So I was talking to someone this morning about a prayer. If you don't ever write prayers and you've never done that, it is true you don't get as much prayer done because it takes longer to write than to speak. But... For me, it's been a huge encouragement to look at prayers I prayed a long time ago and look back and think, oh gosh, that happened, that happened, that happened, that happened. I would encourage you, if you're not, if you're not much of a writer, get yourself a little journal and every so often, even if it's every couple of weeks, write a little prayer instead of verbalizing a prayer and it'll, it'll be good for your faith because you'll look back one day and see God's hand in your life. The second, I've realized I've got, this is going to be a short one today. The second comfort in this story is God's comfort in our pain. Anyone guess? What have I got? Pain. Oh. Believable. Paracetamol, as you can see. Um, God's comfort in our pain. Um, the truth of this story is... God arrived late. He didn't, but he did. He arrived late. They were 60 or 70, and then she conceives. In my eyes, that's late. <laughs> um, which means, which means, so she's, say she's, let's go middle of that, say she's 65. She probably, I will be careful, it's a dangerous thing what I'm about to say. But I reckon, I'll go, I'll go a bit, I reckon about 45, you're thinking, okay, probably no more. 
No more kids. Probably 45. So if that's true, he's, he's let her feel the pain of not being able to have a child for 20 years. He's not told her she's going to have a child later. There's no promises. She's just been in pain for 20 years. Sometimes God lets us feel pain. And it sounds like a strange thing to say, but sometimes our pain is for his kingdom purposes. When John is born, the baby of Zechariah and Elizabeth, when John is born, John's, if John was born earlier, he would have been a child, but that would, he wouldn't have been anything special. He would have been a child. But God had a very special purpose for this guy, this new birth, very special purpose for Elizabeth that she had no idea about, that her son, his life was going to be about somebody else. So this baby was going to be born, and this baby was going to go ahead of Jesus and, tell every, and effectively cultivate the soil, dig the soil, make it fertile for when Jesus came, and then people were ready to listen. So he came to make people ready to listen to Jesus. He had an incredible purpose... But Elizabeth didn't know that. She would just have felt pain. I haven't been able to conceive. The Bible is full of stories of people feeling pain. And then further down the line, we see why God let that pain happen. We see the story of Joseph. His brothers rejected him. Throw him literally throw him in a pit. Deep, too deep for him to climb out of. Wait for some random Egyptians to come along. They sell him. They sell him to these guys, and Joseph, he gets rejected by his brothers, sold as a slave, put then, for one reason or another I won't go into today, he then ends up in prison for seven years, not being, not told you've got, he's not going to say you've got a seven-year sentence. As far as he's concerned, it's life. He's put in prison for seven years, all these horrible things, and then at the end of it, at the end of the story, uh, the, the end of the story of Genesis, we see God does an incredible miracle through his life. But it was through his pain. We see the story of Paul and Silas in the New Testament where they get, they get beaten and whipped and thrown in the prison. And then we see them singing joyfully in prison. And then there's a massive earthquake. And all the, it says all the prison doors opened up. And the, but the prisoners didn't leave. Even though they'd been whipped and beaten, torn to shreds, they were able to praise God because they realized their life was about something else. It wasn't necessarily about them. It was about something greater. And there were two miracles in that prison. One was, the uh, no, three. Earthquake, a random earthquake. Two, every single cell door opened. And three, nobody ran away. Every prisoner stayed. Because... They saw something in the life of these, these Christians, Paul and Silas, that they'd never seen before, people handling pain differently. And, and it's, hard, it's hard for us to, when we're facing pain, and people in this room, some people are facing awful pain. But I want to tell you that, that our life's purpose is actually about somebody else. And through your awful pain... We pray for miracles. We pray, God, do something incredible and heal me. And we can pray that, and that's good, and that's right. But sometimes the miracle is in the not healing. So I'm going to show, I'm going to sh- at this point, I'm going to show a clip, a clip on the screen, which I found was absolutely perfect for this. You can show the clip. Thank you.
I was born in Melbourne, Australia, 1982, and my parents had no idea that I was going to be born without arms or legs. I was the only one that I ever saw without limbs. My faith in Jesus Christ was sealed after seven years of wondering why, God, I was born this way. Uh, he answered me very clearly through John chapter 9. And I gave my life to Jesus at 15 after reading about how he came across a man who was born blind. And I'm like, hey, hold on a second. This looks interesting. <laughs> and no one knew why he was born that way. I'm like, perfect. So I read on and in verse 3 of the ninth chapter, Jesus said, it was done so that the works of God would be revealed through him. And I'm like, wow, God, if you had a plan for the blind man, you do have a plan for me. And that was the beginning of my personal relationship with Jesus. Youth groups were starting to call me. Churches were starting to call me. Opportunities were opening up everywhere for me to share my testimony. I was speaking in front of 300 sophomore public high school students. Three minutes into it, half the girls were crying. One girl in the middle of the room started weeping. She put up her hand and she said, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but can I come up there and give you a hug? In front of everyone, she came and she hugged me. She cried on my shoulder and whispered in my ear, no one's ever told me that they love me. No one's ever told me that I'm beautiful the way that I am. I couldn't believe it, it changed my life. That was when I knew. I was called to be a worldwide evangelist. Today, do not leave me unchanged. Leave me unchanged. You don't know what God can do with your broken pieces until you give God your broken pieces. And I want you to know when you fall down, God's grace is sufficient. God's hand will come down and pick you up. By the grace of God, we have seen face-to-face -face a half a million souls say yes to Jesus and be plugged into a local church. As crazy as it sounds, our goal at Life Without Limbs Ministry is to preach to every single soul on the planet. Seven billion people. We believe that this goal is possible as the Holy Spirit is gathering an army and building up supporters to send us and accomplish this mission. Amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. But that's just, that's, that shows that he's an example of God using, directly using our pain. And some of us need to hear that. Some of us need to think, maybe, God's, maybe he's got something in my pain that he wants me to share. And we might need to change our prayer from take, this, take away my pain to, Lord, would you use my pain? And... And, and God definitely did that with Zachariah and Elizabeth. Absolutely did that. Third present. Present that nobody wants. An empty bottle of wine. No, oh, I can't even open it. I'll oh, forget it. It's an empty bottle of wine. That's, that's a faff. Empty bottle of wine. The reason I use that, I'm going to read this bit. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled at the angel and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. 
Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Anyone, can anyone smell the incense yet, by the way? Great. Remember, I want you to remember that scent, that smell. And that smell is God remembering your prayers from a long time ago. God remembers your prayer. And you are to call him John. David E. Garland is a commentator of the Bible. He says this, The first words from God in the Gospels are, Fear not. That's the first words we see from God's, God coming along. Fear not. The, often we read, when you read the Bible, you see stories of angels a lot. And often it starts with fear not. And that's quite frankly because angels are scary. That is true. I, there's stories in the Bible where angels are incredibly powerful and incredibly strong. There's a story in Two Kings where one angel comes and destroys the people of Assyria for some evil they did. One angel and it destroys 185,000 people. Angels are scary. Um, to the point where I, I often, my kids don't, I obviously haven't told my children that story about the angels. I tell them the nice ones. But I often pray for my children, and I, this happens regularly, it's not in one off. I pray, I pray, Lord Jesus, would you come and be with my kids as they, and my girls as they sleep? Would you send angels to protect them tonight, Lord Jesus? And this, I, I, I say it's my prayer, I pray, and the melody will say, No, don't, Dad. I said, what? She said, don't ask for angels to come in. I don't want any angels in here. <laughs> okay, okay then. And the carrier said, no, you need to pray. Don't send angels. <laughs> so, okay. so uh, okay, Jesus, uh, uh, Melly doesn't want any angels here. Please don't send any angels that she can see. Um, <laughs> um, um, but would you come by the power of your speed? you be with her? No, nope. what? I don't want him either. <laughs> but, but angels are scary. Angels are scary. Um, J.C. Ryle says this, to that, uh, why did Zechariah fear? To that question, there's only one answer. It arises from an inward sense of weakness, guilt and corruption. The vision of, of an in, inhabitant of heaven reminds us forcibly of our own imperfections and our natural unfitness to stand before God. So we can't stand before... Angels are scary, so it's not what... Angels are scary... And also, we are sinful. We are sinful. But I get this. I, I get this wine glass, this wine bottle, because actually, the story is the clue is in the name John. Does anyone know what John means? Beloved. Beloved? <sighs> Not quite. It might be one of them. It might be one of them. But the one when I when you go, go to commentate comment, commentators, this is what you'll say. Um, John means God is gracious. In the Bible, in the Bible, names are important. My name means bearer of light. Um, my, when I go around my family at dinner table, I say, I say, Obi, servant. You, you name, your name means servant of God. Harvey, I do it on purpose to annoy Rachel. Harvey, your, your, your name means ready for battle. Melody means beautiful sound. Sammy means God has heard your prayer. Rachel, female sheep. <laughs> but, um, but in the Bible, names are important. We see Abraham. Abraham means father of many. We see, obviously, the famous one at Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. Obviously, his name was Jesus, not Emmanuel. But the, the point is this. I'm, I'm sending God to be amongst you. We see Jesus, and we heard last week as David spoke, changes the name Peter no, sorry, Simon, to Peter, because you are the rock. It means rock. You are the rock on which I'm going to build my church. Names are important. 
And his, obviously, historically in the Jewish culture, they, he would have been named Zechariah, son of Zechariah, Zechariah, son of Zechariah. That was what they did. The angel comes along and says, no, no, you're going to call him John, which means God is gracious. And the reason we can stand before angels, the reason, the reason we don't need to fear judgment is because the blood of this child that John was going to speak of was going to forgive our sin and was going to be emptied, spilt for us. So now when we stand before God and the angels, we don't need to fear because the blood of Jesus, the soon-to-come Messiah, was going to be gracious to us because God is gracious. Gracious means getting getting something you don't deserve. And that was the story of John, was coming to tell people about the one who he didn't deserve. And my final present, this little baby. Do you like that smell? No. (laughs) Um, Okay, my last present is a wedding ring. My wedding ring, my third wedding rings. One wife, three wedding rings. Um, I lose them. I have a really bad habit of losing wedding rings. But, But the wedding ring... The wedding ring is promise, means pr- I promise. This was bought for me, this, honestly true, this wedding ring, was, this one, <laughs> was bought for me uh, uh, ten, when we'd been married ten year, uh, no, 11 years. And it was because our 10th year, year, year was not a good year. Was, we had a difficult marriage that year, if I'm honest. I thought 10 years would be a great celebration. It was the worst year of our marriage. Um, and then at the end of the 10th year, I'd lost my wedding ring about four years before that, so I had four years of that wedding ring. Um, then my, te- my for Christmas present from Rachel was this wedding ring, and it was her re- reminding us that no, I promised. It's been a terrible year, but I've promised. And the thing I find fascinating about this story is Gabriel's reaction to Zechariah saying, "How do I know this is going to happen?" And Gabriel says, "I'm I am Gabriel. I stand." I stand in his presence all the time. And in fact, we see Gabriel in Daniel, by the way, which is 500 years before. So we know he's at least 500. We don't know when he was born, but we know he's at least 500. And he's been in God's presence for a very long time. And his response to somebody saying, how do I know this is going to happen, isn't, I'll tell you what I could do. All right, I'll send you an angel to tell you. Oh, sorry, he did that. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm Gabriel when I stand before him. That, that's how you know it's going to happen because I've been with him for at least 500 years and he's never broken a promise. Never. That he is so shocked that he makes him mute because he's disgusted that somebody wouldn't believe something that God said. Of course, he's, got, he's told me. If my daughter's brought a friend over and they said to, and they said to my daughter, oh, is your dad going to poison our food? I don't know if I want to eat this. He might poison it. I hope my daughter's response would be, what? I've been, a, I've been around for 13 years, and he's not once done that to me. In fact, he's not done it to anyone. It's not in his character. That's, I hope that's what their reaction would be. Gabriel's reaction is the same to Zechariah. What? He told me to tell you. He's going to keep his word. And there's things in the Bible that are promises to us that, that we need to hold and remind ourselves of. There are some promises that are, that are depending, dependent, dependent on, on things, but God will never leave us nor forsake us, even if we're in pain. A promise, 
a promise that I know people who've gone through pain that I've never experienced and have testified God was with me in that pain. I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's nothing you can do that was, there's nothing we can do that will stop God's loving us. You can come back to God a million times and he'll forgive you every time. That's a promise. He'll walk with you through pain and suffering is a promise. A promise is a promise. So when you read the Bible and you see something and, and you see God says such and such, nothing can separate from his love. God will never leave you. He, the Bible promises that he'll use you in weakness, which I, again, want to emphasize the pain one. God will use you in weakness. The time in my life, up to, so far up to today, the time in my life when I was the most, um, I saw the most people become Christians was at a time when I had a condition that was, turns out to be psychological, but at the time I didn't know that, and I couldn't speak. So it was a time when I would, I would spend ages to struggle a sentence out. I'd go to the job at the time, which was a hostel for homeless people, and, and I would somehow try and tell somebody about God, and I would say, and, and he, he loves you. I saw more people saved in that time than I've ever seen, because God uses the weak. Because he uses us in our weakness, and it's a promise. So if you're in pain, and you're struggling, and, and things are difficult for you, and you think, oh, how, God, I'm Emmy, or whatever it is, God can, God can use you very powerfully in that time. So the four comforts from today are the incense. God remembers our promises forever. For, prayers, promises? No, remembers our prayers forever. He, he has plans, he has purpose in your pain. God planned, I've said, God plans to turn your pain into a pearl. The Bible talks about a story of a pearl of great price and of something somebody sees and sells everything, sells everything in their life to get that pearl. God, will turn, God can turn your pain into a pearl that other people want to buy. Jesus has paid, has paid our sins, paid for our life, so we can stand before God with, and not fear forever. And, this, and the ring. God's promise, that's going to go, isn't it? No. God's promise is a promise. And we can take comfort in those things, I hope. Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, for us as, a, as, us as a family of church, church, Lord Jesus, I pray with you, Lord, help us to know about th- things we've been praying for that we've, we don't know whether we should stop praying. Lord, would you give us a sense of whether it's time to, to accept where we are or keep praying? Help give us direction in that, Lord Jesus. For those of us who are in very painful season of our life, Lord Jesus, for whatever reason, would you turn a, a, that pain into a pearl, Lord Jesus? And Lord Jesus, help us to understand truly that we never need to fear in your presence again because Jesus spent his blood on us and emptied himself for us. And Lord Jesus, help us to, to hold firm that your promise is a promise, is a promise. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If there's anything in this talk that you think, I would actually like to chat to Luke about that, I will stay at the front. I'd love to talk to you about it. That's great. Thank you, everybody. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. 
For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.